Welcome to the King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. Hello, everybody. Nice to see you today. Let me tell you, I don't, I don't know if you vote here, but half the county voted here yesterday. Man, oh man. Right? Were you? Yeah. My polling station, I walked right in, did my thing. I was trying to get people to write my name in for the soil commissioner. But thank you. I was saying this at dinner last night, and Max said, it's so funny you say that. He says, I wrote Jack's name in for it. <laughs> he actually did without us talking about it. Yeah. Jack nor I won the soil. Um, uh, just an invitation to you. Um, you'll see more about this. This is, by the way, this is a nonpartisan announcement. Um, James City County is offering a summit on the future. So the summit is, a, is the first opportunity during the comprehensive plan process to shape our community's future by sharing your vision and priorities for James City County. There will be a live polling and other activities. The summit will stream live as well. So um, this is on November 18th from 6.30 to 8.30, and it's in different locations. The closest one to here would be Berkeley Middle School or Jamestown High School. Um, if you remember a couple of years ago when they were going to the thing about widening Long Hill Road, they had a couple of these too, where you could go and hear their ideas and give ideas and suggestions and that kind of thing. So the county is forming a comprehensive plan. Why would I share that with you today? Well, this is our community, right? These are our neighbors that we're called to love. And if we can help shape a comprehensive plan, we want to do that. So there'll be information in the news and notes, uh, but uh, just to remind you that it's coming up. And um, if you can go, that'd be great. Uh, let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you and praise you for this beautiful fall morning. We pray, praise you for the opportunity to be together here in this place. May your Holy Spirit draw us closer to you and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so we continue profiles on strength. We continue to look at what we might consider as basic Sunday school stories, right? And uh, dive into them a little bit more to see how we might discover uh, where we are finding strength, um, where God is giving strength, what we can take from it and apply it to our discipleship lives, lives, lives as a disciple. So today we're going to do the famous story of Jonah. And uh, at first glance, you might think, well, does Jonah really show a lot of strength? <laughs> right? <laughs> However, I'm going to show you the strength verse. I'm very excited. I was so excited that I tried to do it a week ahead of time. So, um, But I'm mindful that not everyone may be completely familiar with the story of Jonah. And by the way, within Christendom, there's some debate on the story of Jonah. Uh, you can go to some Christian Bible-believing churches, and they'll say, well, it's just a story. It's just a story to lead us to a, a larger truth, right? 
And I think today we, we could create a narrative that would prove that theory. You can't help but see the story of Jesus Christ in the story of Jonah on some level. And I'm going to point some of those things out to you as we go along. However, you know the basic Harmon doctrine, right? The basic Harmon doctrine is always this. If God can't do that, then he can't rise from the dead, right? So the basic Harmon doctrine is your, your point of reference is always the resurrection. So uh, does it seem fascinating and almost uh, mm, unbelievable that uh, a big fish would swallow a human being? Sure, of course it does. But if God can't do that, we limit him then on other things as well. This is not the study, John, but yes, please. <laughs> so, well, the point is Jesus referred to Jonah as a real person. And that scripture interpreting scripture says whatever else, we have a problem if you try to say otherwise. Very good. Exactly right. And in fact, we're going to see, we're going to read what Jesus said about Jonah later. But yeah, that's a really helpful point. Uh, Lutheran doctrine, which is far superior than Harmon doctrine, uh, is that scripture interprets scripture. So if Christ himself is pointing to Jonah, then that would be an indicator to us of the validity of Jonah, right? So let's take an opportunity to be refreshed uh, in the story of Jonah. Forgive me, there's some words in here that some of you may not care for, okay? But hang in there. God's story, Jonah. So part of God's story is in the book of Jonah, and it begins like this. God told Jonah, go to the city of Nineveh and tell the people they have been wicked, and they should stop being wicked, or I will destroy them. But Jonah got scared and decided to go to the city of Tarshish by boat. Tarshish is in the opposite direction of where God wanted Jonah to go. Can you imagine running away from God? Anyway, when the boat was at sea, God sent a storm. The storm was so scary that all the sailors thought the ship was going to be destroyed. So they threw a bunch of stuff off the ship. I don't know how less luggage was going to help, but that's what they did. While all of this was happening, Jonah was inside the ship sleeping. The captain saw him and said, how can you sleep right now? Pray to your God and ask for help. Then the sailors decided to cast lots to find out who was responsible for the storm. Casting lots is a lot like the lottery, except when lots are cast, whoever wins doesn't always really win. Like this time, when the lot fell to Jonah. The sailors ask him what he had done to cause the storm, and what they should do to make it stop. Jonah said, pick me up and throw me into the sea. That will calm the storm. But the sailors didn't want to. They tried really hard to row back to shore, but the ship just didn't go anywhere. So the sailors apologized to God for throwing Jonah overboard. And then they threw him overboard. I don't know if they ever apologized to Jonah, but God is the one who made the scary storm. And if you're going to apologize to anyone, you should apologize to God. It's just a good idea in general. So as soon as Jonah was off the boat, the storm stopped. I wonder if Jonah thought to himself, what am I going to do now? Well, God had an answer. All of a sudden, a big fish swallowed Jonah. Yep, Jonah was now inside a fish. Things went from bad to worse real quick. Now, the Bible says a fish swallowed Jonah, 
We don't know if it was a whale or something else. But whatever it was, it had to be big enough to swallow a man whole without having to chew. Kids, always chew your food before swallowing. You're not a giant fish. Anyway, Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights. Can you imagine being stuck in a dark and stinky place for three days straight? Like a porta potty? Well, imagine being inside a big fish. Dark and sloshy and really stinky. Basically, a porta potty with fins. After the three stinky days, God made the fish spit up Jonah. Actually, fish can't really spit. Jonah got vomited out. Vomit is also known as puke, barf, pearl, oatmeal seconds, upchuck, blown grits, ralph, toss cookies, technicolor yawn, and chunder. Basically, the fish got rid of Jonah through its mouth. You get the idea? So while stinky Jonah was there on the beach, God told him a second time to go to Nineveh and tell the people to stop being wicked. This time, Jonah went to Nineveh. Listening to God is always a good idea. When he arrived, he told the people that God said they should turn from their evil ways. They believed him, so everyone, and I mean everyone, fasted and put on sackcloth. Fasting is when you don't eat and pray really, really hard. Putting on a sackcloth is putting on a sackcloth. Now, when God saw how they had stopped doing bad things and were really sorry, he decided not to destroy them. And that's the book of Jonah. So in case you missed it, here's the quick version. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah ran away on a boat. Jonah got thrown off the boat to stop a storm. Fish swallowed Jonah. Three days later, fish threw up Jonah. Jonah told people at Nineveh to stop being wicked and they stopped. God didn't destroy them. And that's a part of God's story. Yeah, good job. <laughs> Thanks for coming today, everybody. <laughs> so, uh, an overview of the book of Jonah. Uh, there's there's obviously more to it. There's more, uh, if you want to read it, by the way, it would be worth the read. There's, there's much more about the call of Jonah to go to Nineveh, Nineveh and what how Jonah responds to that. And... Very interesting, Noah's response when the people of Nineveh repent. He's actually upset about it. He doesn't, he is, uh, he is unhappy with the grace of God, even though the grace of God has been shown to him. Talk about a sermon, right? But for our purposes today, uh, and by the way, I think one, one uh, re- naming of this section that we're going to look at could be um, the faithfulness of the pagan sailors. Right? Remember how we did uh, Jacob and, or um, Joseph, I'm sorry, and it says the story of Jacob, but then it's actually about Joseph. This could be, uh, this part about Jonah could be the, the account of the faith, the, pa- the faithful pagan sailors. Uh, so watch, watch these sailors throughout this event. So turn to Jonah Chapter 1, Jonah chapter 1. It might take you a few minutes to find Jonah if you haven't found it. You know why? Because he always runs the the opposite way. So you're trying to find him, and the book moves around in the Bible. Um, Jonah chapter 1. Remember, we're looking for strength. And as you're looking for it today, uh, a brief announcement that I neglected to share. There is no Bible study next week because we have a voters meeting in the evening. So next week, no, no Bible study 
voters meeting in the evening. I hope you'll come. You should, you'll get the voters guide tomorrow. Okay, Jonah 1. I need someone to read verses 4 to 16. Jonah 1. Oh, what help have I turned to it? Jonah 1, verses 4 to 16. Somebody got that? Who's got it? Over here, please. No, no, you are the chosen one. <laughs> are there any big words? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to find out, aren't we? <laughs> yes, we are. I'll go quickly. <laughs> then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break it up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where the, he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take, care, take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. He was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea calmed. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Thank you. Well done. Every word correct. <laughs> NIV. That's right. Uh, what did you hear? What was interesting to you? Yeah, the, <laughs> Martin, you're right. There is a consistent message throughout the book of Jonah, right? Um, and I've actually used this in pastoral care for people. Um, Herman Doctrine 472.5 is uh, perhaps often God doesn't have a preference for a decision you're about to make as long as that decision glorifies him, right? You, you remain faithful to him. However, if God wants you to do something, you're going to do it. Hold on one second. We're going to get the microphone for the people online. 
who we welcome in here too. Go ahead. Verse 9, this version of the Bible says, and I fear the Lord. Read the whole whole verse, please. And he said to them, I am Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. Interesting. Okay. Well, that would be a change in his behavior. (laughs) Um, And, by the way, if God doesn't want you to do something, you're not going to do it. So, to me, 80% is... Just take me with you. 10% is no, and 10% is yes. Right? Okay, good. Thank you. Someone else. Someone else. What did you hear? Yes, sir. I don't know what you were going to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, he said, uh, he said, <clears throat> your God. And then when Jonah proclaimed his God, see that I'm right now angry. Right away, they're sort of saying, whoa, wait a minute. That's my picture. Yeah. Yeah, hang on to that because that, that is a really uh, helpful insight. Um, we don't want to overlook uh, the, the wrath of the sea. And what that's telling us, nor Jonah's proclamation versus their beliefs. We're going to look into that a little more. Good. Good for you for remembering and good. Yeah. Over here, please. Yeah. Um, You know, I never noticed this before, but um, I think it's interesting that one man's life is given to save everybody else. Yes. <laughs> that has a familiar ring. Doesn't it? Yes. Right. And interestingly, at least in this account, uh, they don't want that to they don't want to do that to him. Right? Uh, in fact, uh, you could really stretch this and say him offering his life leads them to pray to his God. Yeah, very interesting, right? Something else? So I got these two pictures for you. This one, uh, I don't think the ship looked like that. That's probably a colonial ship. But, you know, uh, I've never, I was not in the Navy, uh, although I did have a tour of Chatham. Cheetah, Matt, Cheetah Annex uh, on Monday. And the uh, first time I've ever been there. Really cool. They teach they teach um, how to load and unload ships with the big crash. There's four big cranes in there. And they will do mock scenarios where the sailors, they're not soldiers, sailors, because uh, I called them soldiers, I was wrong. Uh, they've got a certain amount of time to get everything off. Turn my time to get everything back on. Fascinating. Long way of saying I've never been in the Navy. But, you know, there, or I actually really love this one because look at the top, right? You can't see it in here, unfortunately, but the ship is here, and there's, there's the guys are in there. Um, so, okay, turn to, go back to Jonah 1, and uh, let's go to verse 4. 
But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. I have the ESV version. Uh, so Yahweh, uh, the Lord, is sort, of a, is sort of a passive victim here to Jonah's tactics, if you will. Um, uh, he, he now has to intervene. Right, um, you may know this when you've dealt with people. Right, uh, you, okay, I can handle that. Uh, all right, you're pushing me, but I, I'm gonna let that go. But there comes a point where you say, "All right, now I'm getting involved." Right, so now God's getting involved, and um, what's interesting is that the storm is so great um, that these experienced sailors, right? These are these folks. Our, we would assume it's their occupation to be on the water. Even they're afraid. Shows, a, shows the enormity uh, of the storm. And um, if you looked at, Jer- I'm going to read it for you. Turn there. Jeremiah 23, 19 to 20. See the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath, a whirlwind swirling down on the heads of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purposes of his heart. In days to come, you will understand it clearly. Jeremiah 31, 19 to 20. So this isn't just a Williamsburg, Virginia, um, let's wait 10 minutes and the rain will go away and it'll be hot and humid again, right? Uh, This is an intentional storm with intentional purposes revealing to us the wrath of God. Maybe said another way, God will not be ignored. Now, we could we could have a lot of fun with this in the 21st century. We could have a lot of fun with this in the 21st century as we see God being ignored more and more. Rest assured, the prophet Jeremiah makes it very clear. Uh, He will not be ignored. So, even though the crew doesn't worship Yahweh, don't you find it interesting that they're in such a panic that they pray to their own God? Therefore, the assumption would be, perhaps, that they view this storm as uh, responsible by the divine. Now, they haven't put, not yet, let's not get ahead of ourselves. They haven't sat on there and said, whew, someone on this ship's done something bad and we're being punished for it. They get there. But they recognize the severity of the storm is so great that they should go to their gods because they realize that only their gods could intervene and perhaps their gods are intervening here uh, as well. So I thought this was interesting from the commentator that I read on this for you named Alan. He says, and it was kind of funny how they did it in the in the, the cartoon too, right? I'm not sure how getting rid of your luggage helps, but, you know, 
And he wrote something similar. So far, their religion does not work. Bless you. Nor their prayers. Nor their works. Cargo into the sea. They are dealing with the consequences of Jonah. um, And they don't know it. So what happens in a panic? This happens to, oh, yes, John, I'm sorry. I didn't see that. Yeah, please. With my modest experience as an ancient mariner, yes. <clears throat> trying to lighten a ship means they're getting green water over the bows. How would explain it? You don't just get splashed with the wave. The whole wave is covering the ship. Yes. And you're realizing that the ship almost went like a submarine just then. I need to make it lighter. So that's what they're experiencing is green water over the bow. But that tells you. Something. Thank you for that insight. Oh, anybody want to vote? You can vote. Uh, late, but, um, thank, thank, Pastor, please. Thank you for that insight. Um, and that would lead us to know something about these, these sailors, which is they know what they're doing, right? Correct. Yes, sir. It's interesting that Jonah goes to the West. He's a Jew. Jews are afraid of the water, naturally. Jesus has been the disciple. Galilee. They haven't been taught to swim. They haven't been taught to sail. Why didn't he go to Egypt? He's going to run away. Why didn't he go? Yeah, I mean, that's the opposite yeah. direction of Nineveh. And, and in addition to that, Pastor, uh, what's he doing in all this? He's sleeping. So he he's found some level of contentment even amidst the storm. Which, which I find fascinating. Not only is he running in the wrong direction, not only is he running in a direction that, is, that does not beat his gift set, right? <laughs> um, in the middle of all that, he's perfectly at peace. Or at least, at least he's resting during it. Yes, it did. That did get the captain's attention. Yeah. So is he really at peace or is he so scared and like, Last week, we talked about how Jacob was so exhausted, he couldn't have fought his brother. Fair enough. Um, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. But he's hiding from him because he knew he did something wrong. Just like when we do something wrong, we try to hide. Yeah. Very good. Let me, re, let me uh, adapt my testimony and say uh, that was a joke for anyone watching. Um, that's, uh, we don't know whether he was at peace or not. Doesn't say. All we know is that he's asleep, right? So it's interesting that he's asleep in the midst of a storm. And yes, we're going to get to the captain coming down saying, what's the matter with you? For, for many reasons, the captain's going to be mad. One would be, why, why aren't you helping? Right? Get up and help us. That's one natural thing that you might do. Um, but what do we know about Jonah? He's going to do what he wants to do for him, right? Uh, So let's go to that, verse 6 to 8. So the captain came and said to him, and by the way, let's go back to Heidi's comment for a minute. Um, Another way to look at it, and we're we're sort of in the hmm, beginnings of sermon preparation mode here, right? Another way to look at it would be um, that, uh, isn't it true that sometimes when when we run away from God or hide from God, 
um, it does it can exhaust us, or um, we we create a false sense of contentment. Right, been doing it so long. Um, <laughs> go to sleep. Anyway, verse six. So the captain came and said to him, "What do you mean, you sleeper?" <laughs> Of all the things to call him, right? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the, perhaps the God will give a thought to us and we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast. Okay, let's stop there for a minute. So the captain comes down, um, get up and go. Get up and call are similar words used by God when he calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. Get up and go. The captain tells Jonah to pray, but what do we know about Jonah? He is spiritually far from God. And by the way, he doesn't pray. We have no sense here that Jonah realizes the situation, realizes the severity of the storm, and says, oh boy, you know, no. He doesn't pray. Uh, here we see that perhaps um, the, this pagan has more faith in the in the moment than Jonah. He understands the power of the storm and the need for divine intervention. Yes, sir. Uh, the second chapter, Jonah prays, but he's inside the belly of the fish. Yeah. Well, Jonah comes along. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> but he doesn't pray here. So nothing else has worked, right? Uh, they, they've tried praying. They've tried dumping cargo. Uh, they've probably said a couple sailor words. Um, they've gone to Jonah, trying to get him to go. Um, so what do you do? They have, they have determined that there's one among them that must be guilty of something which is interesting. By the way, uh, in that culture, I mean, we, we know that in the first century, in the, cult, the, the time of Jesus, if you were sick, right, you must have done something, right? It must be sinful. So not out of the realm of possibility for people to think that. Verse 7, they came to one of those and said, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. They said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where did you come from? What is your country? What political party are you? Who did you vote for yesterday? And what people are you? Now, interesting, uh, before we get too far from the storm, to me, again, um, I want to look at that storm for a moment. It is so great so severe, so perilous, if you will, that it leads these sailors to a firm belief that the divine is doing this and that the, it will not cease. They've seen storms before, but that this, that this storm will not cease without some intervention. I can't help but pause and say, if you, if you ever want a visual of the wrath of God, when it, as it pertains to our disobedience, you should pause and look at this storm. 
and, and just see uh, how these pagan men even understand something's happening here. So they cast lots, and I should keep this page. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So believe you cast lots, the lot will go on the one that that we're supposed to learn something from. Yes, ma'am. So does that mean that they're beginning to change their idea that it really is the Lord? that's doing this because in my um, interpretation of that proverb 1633 it says the lot was always always used in ceremonial ceremonial settings and was the common method for determining god's will yeah so we know the pagan culture also used lots as well um I do believe that there's a case that these men come to know Yahweh. Uh, I don't know if they come to faith in Yahweh, but they come to know the power of Yahweh. Um, But I don't think it's the lots that do it. I think they're just using a very common tool um, that, by the way, Jonah would be familiar with as well. I'm I'm sharing the Proverbs passage with all of you to show you that God, again, uh, God will God will point out what needs to change as as we need that to happen, right? And here He uses the lots to do it, and um, they have lots of questions for Him, right? Good questions. What I find interesting is the lots don't go on Jonah, and they don't go. They don't say throw him over. They they feel a sense of responsibility to him. Uh, so what does Jonah say? And now we get into some of the, what I would say, the good grub here, right? Um, verse nine. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is it that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them that, which is funny. You're, you know, but you're asking me, right? Then they said to him, what will we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Okay. Here we are. Uh, I know you've all pointed out that he's afraid but I don't know that that's the most, mass, that's the most powerful po- point here. Uh, first, he says, I'm a Hebrew. By the way, the term Hebrew would be used generally uh, for a person of Israel in describing themselves to a foreigner. Yes, sir. I just want to throw another. This is conjecture on my part. Please. We this, like conjecture. This is a possibility. Uh, as Pastor Bat said, he went west to the sea. Yeah. He might be destroyed in the sea. Did he care? No. He didn't want to go to heaven. Heaven said at any cost. He went to sleep, hoping perhaps 
at some point would happen. Okay. And uh, then he said, throw it open. Right. What this? Yeah. I don't want to do God's is an ultimate rejection of God's will, perhaps. I, I find your conjecture very interesting. I really do. Which is this thought that, that Jonah was so determined not to do what God had told him that he was even willing to lose his life. Um, but the scripture doesn't say that, but it's an interesting point. I would lead, be led to not think that by the very words we have here. So let's dive into that a little bit here. Um, he says, I'm a Hebrew. Uh, it seems that Jonah, I would say, my little note here, that he could learn from the crew in fearing God a little bit more. But there's something interesting for you to know here. He says, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. Who, who is the Lord? The God of heaven. That's a little underline maybe in your Bible. What, what he means by the God of heaven is that he's identifying Yahweh as the supreme deity. The ultimate source of all power and authority. He's not the God of forests. He's not the God of the sea. He's not the God of the sky. He's not the God of the sun, right? All these other gods that might be there. He is the God of heaven. And that would, that would be teaching those sailors that he is the God of gods. And it is yielding to the authority of God on the sea. So, so Jonah is admitting, yes, I'm a Hebrew I fear the Lord, not your lords, not your gods, but the true God of heaven who is in control of everything. So, uh, I have a note here, but I don't know why I wrote it. So let me go on to the next one. Yahweh, oh, ah, God of heaven was used by Jews, especially to contrast themselves from Gentile beliefs. So it's a term they would often use. Yahweh as God of heaven is not a local deity, but rather one that all people can look to for help. He's the maker of land and sea. Psalm 95, 5. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Uh, God then is uh, the curator of the storm. So what's interesting, uh, one article I read on this, the guy says, isn't it interesting that Jonah can recite this creed? He can confess his faith in this God, right? Yet show disrespect to the commands of God uh, who, um, who here he's acknowledging. That's sermon number three here, right? My hunch is every week there's a whole host of people who say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and then go out and don't act like it. Right? And then, uh, verse 10, they found their answer, who it is. Now they want to know why. Because they're, they're afraid of this powerful God. And they, they realize that uh, their humanity in the face of such divine power uh, is fallible. They know Jonah is the reason, but they don't know 
how to stop it. So what do they do? They ask Jonah. And here, Ken, is why I cannot go with your conjecture. Because I believe this is the strength verse. Yes, Jonah does accept his faith, fate. Uh, but what do we see here in verse 12? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it'll become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Uh, he admits responsibility for the storm. He knows that it's his sin that has provoked this terrible storm. And the only way to appease the tempest of Yahweh's wrath is to abandon himself uh, to it as just dessert for his sin. Theologians would say his willingness to die is an indication that he realizes his guilt before God. Hang in there. Don't raise your hand yet because I have something else to say, but I want to read this to you. Uh, Ezekiel 18.4, for everyone belongs to me. The parent as well as the child both like, alike belong to me. The one who sins is the one who will die. He understands the wages of sin is death. And the reason why I would pause today and say this is the strength verse is because we have begun to be taught that it is not strong to admit responsibility. That it is not strong to say when you're wrong. That it's not strong to confess your sin. That it's weak to say you're wrong. That it's weak to say you're sinful or it's embarrassing or it's an acknowledgement of whatever. In our Christian belief, we celebrate the, the, the invitation to say, you know what? I was wrong for doing that. I was wrong for saying that. I was wrong for thinking that. I was wrong for being there. I was wrong for running away. Whatever it is, and acknowledging that there is a consequence to being wrong. Now, our situation is very different from Jonah's, so he thinks. But... We need to get back to a point as disciples, people walking in the discipline of God, where we can be able to say, first of all, in our spiritual journeys, that it is good, right, and salutary, whatever that means, right? Good church word. Good, right, and salutary to come before the Lord and say, I am nothing. And here are all the times I was wrong. Forgive me. That's, that, there we then find the strength of the Lord intervenes, right? And then, soapbox moment, forgive me, to take that same concept into our society. It's not bad to say, you know what? I was wrong for doing that. And I want to be changed. I want to change. We just don't see that. We don't see it in our leaders anymore. Uh, we don't see it in our civic discourse anymore. Uh, we don't see it in our social media interactions anymore. And I think it's actually a window for Christians to bear witness to the power of God. To not only be able to say, yes, I'm wrong, but when someone comes to you and says, you know what? 
I know I really hurt you, and that was wrong of me, to have a forgiving spirit. Now, it may take some time. It may take some conversation. It may take some reconciliation. But to be open to that, I think, is a great Christian witness. Rather than grudges, chips on shoulders, revenge, right? Those are not the ways of Christ. And Jonah, in some strange way, gives us an indication. Now, what did it take, (laughs) right? It took a lot of running. It took a great storm. It took pagan sailors, right? It took, back to Heidi's point from last week with Jacob, it took a moment of desperation because Jonah now realized, if Jonah's offering his life, it's a desperate situation. But in that moment, he's able to do it. What he doesn't realize is that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just. Could it be, see it, that that big fish is a symbol of grace? Now, we're not talking about the big fish today. We didn't read that part. Jonah goes into the sea, and he should die. But God saves him. Right? It's not the real fish, John. It's an image picture. Okay, but there's no accident there. I think that's a coelacanth. Who cares what a coelacanth is? Yeah, I agree with Back that. Back in the 30s, when the scientists were dead right, and you are going to teach evolution, we have science to prove it. The coelacanth was a kind of fish that was called an index fossil. They still have index fossils. How do you know this is 71 million years old? Because I found coelacanth fossils in this rock. All right? Well, in the 1930s, after the Scopes monkey trial, but within a year or two, some local guy over near Java or someplace that that was snorkeling and catching fish. And he caught this funny-looking fish. And he brought it to the educated European people and said, what is this? And I caught this fish. And they said, it's a coelacanth. But before that, they said, a coelacanth proves that this rock was formed before the dinosaurs. Hmm. But in fact, they're still out there swimming around the ocean now. So you're opening up a whole can of worms here, John. It's nothing. That's a sidebar, but that's, there's no accident. that that fish, okay? Well, I, you're right. The real fish, first of all, it, it could, great white sharks can swallow a 55-gallon drum hole, not hurting it. Right. They've caught them today. They have found the bones of great white sharks where the jawbone is so big that five or six men can stand abreast right. inside of it. So there are, so Possibly. that's not the point. The point is your principle. If Jesus can raise from the dead, if the father can raise him that's from right. the dead, then anything else can happen. But if it's easier to believe there are fish, pretty scary, yucky fish that can swallow you whole. Yeah. Who would have thought when I picked this random picture? <laughs> I liked it because it's the only thing there. And, and the, you know what? Thank you for sharing that. That's interesting to hear. Uh, for today's purposes, I, I think sometimes we view perhaps the fish um, as part of the punishment 
rather than part of the salvation story. Jonah is saved. Now, not like a porta potty, evidently, according to the cartoon that we saw, but um, he's saved. Now, a couple other things. Go to 13 to 16, all right? We're not going to read it because I want to get to, I want to make sure we get to everything in today. They don't, the sailors, Jonah says, throw me over. I should die. I'm a, I'm a worm. Get it? Fish, worm. <laughs> they don't, what's interesting is they don't want to kill him. They, they actually work tirelessly to save him. You know, they mean well. However, Alan says, their failure to get him to the shore indicates the narrative's conviction that it was, it was not sufficient to put the clock back to a time before Jonah's rebellion. Right? So to, to take Jonah to shore would be to reset the possibilities of him doing exactly what he's done. Right? Uh, it's sort of like us when we're doing something wrong saying, oh, just give me one more chance. I won't do it again. And then we do it again. Right? Uh, Jonah deserves to die, and he knows it. Um, the crew ultimately doesn't want to be punished for Jonah's sin, so uh, they do it. But what do they do before they do it? It's fascinating. They pray, and they pray to Yahweh. Do they not? They seem, I thought this was interesting. They pray, in essence, the prayers that Jonah should have prayed when the captain came to him. Go to verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. Yeah, they didn't make it. There, 14. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done it as have done as it pleased you. Well, they didn't want blood guiltness here, right? They didn't want to be attached to his death. Um, but imagine if Jonah had prayed that prayer a couple verses ago, how the circumstance might have changed. But it didn't. Um, now they now these sailors should be viewed as agents of divine justice, and they toss Jonah into the sea. <laughs> and what happens? The sea stills. It reminded me of Mark 4, 41. The disciples were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus calms the storm. So, one more note here. How amazing, how amazing that the heathen play the part of the pious Israelite. Above all, so, by the way, sermon number four. Sometimes non-believers are more faithful than believers. Chew on that for a while, right? Before we condemn them all to hell. Above all, the storm, the... Oh, above all, the story thus far extols the fact that sin does not pay. <laughs> and that try as a sinner will to escape, he is God's marked Man, <laughs> the wages of sin, this is a, I put PBH here. The wages of sin are death, dot, dot, dot. But then the fish comes. So, First John 1. Let's read it together. 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So if you come to eight o'clock church, this is part of our liturgy and a few of them, I think. Two of them. We say this first part. So again, friends, dear sinners, um, to, to say that we are not sinners makes God to be a liar. Do you want to be on a boat? <laughs> Do you want to be in that storm? No. I would say just as bad, we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth, what is truth for the Christian? Jesus, right? Jesus is the truth, is not in us. So if we are publicly saying or to our in church saying or even, you know, uh, however and whenever saying, well, I don't sin, no sin. That's an indication to us that's the, that we're missing Christ in us, right? Because uh, the story for us is the fish. We get we get the glory of God descending into hell, conquering Satan and rising from the dead so that we may be set free. That freedom comes when we realize that God is gracious and merciful and forgiving. He forgives us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Someone once asked ask, someone once asked me, you know, I don't really understand each week why we why you they didn't come here, why you have confession of sins. If you're going to confess sins, knowing that God wants to forgive you, that God's going to forgive you. And I, I point in the here. Well, of course we do that. We come with our bundle of garbage. Anticipate we don't I hope that you don't come here. I hope you don't come here and say uh, I have sinned in thought, word, and deed. I, will you forgive me today? No, we, it's more of like, oh, I've, Lord, I've sinned. I don't want to sin anymore. Take it and change me. That's why we're coming here, right? It's a transformational process. Does that mean some people come here and look for a clean slate to sin more? Probably. They just need to, we need to get them off spiritual milk and get them onto some solid food, right? Romans 6. I think we can read it together, although I'm the worst at reading it together with all of you. I, I inevitably miss a couple words. Here we go. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. And it ends, say I messed it up, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. By far my favorite line there is the free gift of God. So, So what Paul's saying here, of course, is when you're a slave to sin, in essence, what does that get you? (laughs) What is worshiping your sin or continuing to live in sin or protecting your sin or denying your sin ultimately get you? 
It just makes you a slave to sin. Have you not realized that you now, we don't like to say the word anymore, I know, but in the Christian sense, are we, you are now a slave to God. Right? He has claimed you. You are not your own. You're bought at a price. Oh, you're daughters and sons of the king. Don't worry about that too. But a price was paid for you <laughs> that you can't possibly pay. And what of it? Well, that leads to sanctification. Remember Reformation Day? We had a little lesson on Lutheranism 101. Sanctification is the response, our responsive living to what Christ has done for us. So because we are gods, we now live for God and we get eternal life. So then he sums it up. The classic Paul, he could have just said verse 23 but he had to say all of the words too, right? Bless you. The wages of sin is death. So if you want to keep living in sin, if you want to keep going the other way against the storm, then that's a, that's a death of a relationship with God. It's a death of a relationship to his promises. It's a death of a relationship to healing and wholeness that he brings. Or you can have the free gift of God, which brings you eternal life in Christ our Lord. I think we should choose the free gift right? The free sample. Well, someone might say, well, nothing's free. Well, that's true, but you didn't, you didn't pay for it. Matthew, uh, I, I wrote the whole, I copied the whole place in Matthew where Jesus speaks about Jonah. I didn't say where it was. So it's somewhere in Matthew. Look it up. So, the strength that we find through Jonah is the strength in saying, I'm a sinner. I'm wrong. For us, for us after the cross and the empty tomb, it's, uh, I need God. That's strength. So, sometimes it takes that moment for you to say, uh, well, I don't know this, but it's conjecture. We're conjecture, right? Conjecture today. Uh, I wonder if Jonah felt a little better when he was able to say, you know what, it's me. It's me. And I know, I know how this can be solved. I don't like it, but I know how it can be solved. Uh, for you and me, we in confidence, we can say, you know what, the problem is me. I'm the liar. I'm the cheat. I'm the gossip. I'm the hater. I'm the pest, whatever it is, not the pessimism, it's a sin, but you know what I'm saying, when it leads us away from God. The problem is me, and when I do that, I can begin the process of being freed from that, the slavery of that sin so that the gift of God can come in and redeem me and restore me and lead me to him. Prayer requests today. Yes? Sarah is going to have a biopsy after her mammogram. Sorry? John Bookless. I don't know. I, have, I don't know. I haven't heard. Although I saw him. I don't think it's, I don't think it's happened yet. I saw him Sunday. He has... Um, He's having a procedure on his 
kidney. Yeah, he's got a mass there. If Tara's watching, maybe she'll come in and give us a, but I, I don't know that we've heard. I think it, I think it's next week, though. But one of us, is, if I'm wrong, I will stand up here and say, you know what, it's me. Wrong. Throw me into the sea. <laughs> yes. This Warren. Okay. I like that idea. Set your alarms for 1 o'clock p.m. <laughs> or 1 a.m., can't hurt, <laughs> and pray for Warren. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, Pete. Excellent. Yeah. Must be your wife's side of the family with the smarts, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. Let's pray. Almighty God, gracious King, we thank you for the witness of Jonah and for the ability you give us through the word to see that strength even can be found in someone who's been disobedient, rebellious. For we too are like Jonah, Lord, often running in the wrong direction that you've called us to. Help us, Lord, to find strength in acknowledging when we're wrong, to find strength in acknowledging that we are sinners and to know that you are a God who's provided more than a great fish, but rather a wonderful, beautiful Redeemer who's died and risen again so that we might live in the freedom that you've got given to us through your grace and love. Lord, we pray today for uh, all, all these prayers that have been uh, laid before us. We pray uh, for biopsies being taken, Lord, that uh, that they would result in being nothing more, Lord, than a mass that's easily treated. We pray for John, who will have, that was Sarah. We pray for John, who uh, either had surgery, God, or will. Either way, you know. And we pray that it would go well and that you would find a healing and remedy for him. Uh, we pray, Lord, for Warren tomorrow that uh, you would be, with him in that moment and provide a clear path for him. Uh, we pray for Bill and Joni's son as he prepares for his procedure, uh, that you would uh, keep him in your care and all would go well. We thank you, Lord, that Cammie passed her uh, tests and is moving forward to the next phase. Bless her with opportunities uh, to use the gifts you've given to her as she moves forward as well. That was everyone. Lord, we pray for all those in our prayer guide. Uh, bless them and keep them in your care. Bless this church and all Christian churches, Lord, that we may be beacons of your gospel truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and his people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.